Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Film Fives with us, your regular host, me, Russell Guyver, and this man uh, looking at me from a Zoom call somewhere in Sussex. It is... Good evening, it's me, Phil. Hello. <laughs> Pleasure <laughs> to be back. Happy New Year and all that. Indeed. It's been a while to get this one sorted. Very busy Christmas. But what we have got is a bit of a difference in this episode, Take 18, by the way where we are covering Laurel and Hardy. And what we've done, we've got a friend of mine who is a massive Laurel and Hardy fan uh, to come on and join us to make three instead of two. Why not? Um, and welcome. As there. if our podcast weren't long enough already. <laughs> this, is, this is the danger of being <laughs> Netflix, Which is not what any of the Laurel and Hardy films are, ironically. But anyway, um, it is my good friend, Robin Woolley. Welcome to the Film Fires podcast, Robin. Thank you very much. I'm honoured to be your uh, your first yeah, guest. Fa- yeah, a singular honour indeed. <laughs> yeah, well, we couldn't not have you in here because you've you've talked about them on a number of occasions before. And when the Stan and Ollie film came out, the biopic um, of um, the um, the uh, of the two of them a few years ago, um, we were talking about them again. And it just it keeps coming back. You're clearly a fan, and I think people who are really are. <laughs> but let's start with with that then, as you are new to the show. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself in relation to film and in particular to your love of Laurel and Hardy. Um, film in general, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge film fan, not in the, uh, not in the league of you two when it comes to your knowledge of the, the various <laughs> different genres you've already covered. Um, but when it comes to Laurel and Hardy, there's, there's two particular reasons. The first one is um, quite a, a kind of personal one in that it was something I shared with my grandfather when I was growing up. Um, he was born in 1917, um, so he was a teenager when a lot, you know, basically at the time where most of these popular Lauren Hardy films were coming out. So he remembers going, or he remembered, I should say, going to see them at the cinema, and they showed them during the war when he was a soldier, etc. So we, we can't, I kind of grew up watching them, um, and as I've become a bit older and I've obviously continued watching them with my own children, I've thought a bit more about the influence. Of Lauren Hardy on on the film industry and indeed the entertainment industry as a whole. And if you look at from Peter Sellers to Paul McCartney, Frank Skinner to Ricky Gervais, even if you look at the US, Dan Castellaneta, Seth MacFarlane, the list of where you can see the obvious influences are enormous. I mean, I was reading a couple of years ago, Peter Sellers used to carry around a signed poster-sized photo of Stan Laurel wherever he went. It's just, I mean, it's just that's brilliant it is and i mean even you look at stan and ollie featured on the album cover for sergeant pepper which is something i only read about a couple of days ago they're in there um and something that amused me most i think frank skinner had him on a podcast a while ago talking about whenever he used to get a new girlfriend he used to put her through the laurel and hardy test and he'd sit her down and watch way out west and he basically used that as a compatibility tool to see if she was going to be a um, you know, a, a suitable partner. Um, and I think, Russ, something we've discussed a lot, um, particularly watching Afterlife, Ricky Gervais, um, is to see how many influences there are in Ricky Gervais's work. I mean, if you look at The Office, to me, that's essentially a, a cast full of stands. Plus, you've got one Ollie and Tim, who's probably the one who sighs and knowing the camera throughout. Um, and I was going to put you on the spot, Russ, in Afterlife season three. Or did either of you, Phil, did either of you spot the um, the very uh, cryptic reference to Laurel and Hardy? Ooh, um, I might have done at the time. I'm trying to remember. It's been now. a while since I've seen it. 
there's one scene where they're sitting in the graveyard and the camera pans and it shows you Anne's husband's gravestone and the name on there is Stanley Oliver. Oh, yeah. Ah. Um, oh. So you can see the, kind of the, 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 subtle, um, the subtle references. And obviously in America, you know, it's amazing you sit down and, you know, the Simpsons, the Doyle catchphrase, yeah. you know, is, um, is quite well known. And if you look at things like Family Guy, I mean, Peter Griffin is clearly, you know, a very, uh, a very classic Lauren Hardy character who is simultaneously the butt of many jokes, but also carries this kind of level of misguided arrogance with his own ability. So, yeah, I think it's, it's just amazing, um, you know, how enduring and how widespread the appeal is. I know you can get quite geeky and look at how, you know, exactly what are the references and, you know, are you reading too much into it? But I think the fact that, you know, nearly a century later, you can still see these very obvious references is um is amazing and, and, and they're still very recognizable so i told my my kids i've got teenage daughters and i said and they said what are you doing on the next podcast i said laurel and hardy and they they knew straight away what i was talking about whereas if i talked about any other films from the 1930s or 20s or 40s yeah. they sort of just scratch their head and look at me blankly it's definitely iconic yeah i think only charlie chaplin's probably the other one that would would resonate in the same way in terms of recognition. Um, I, I imagine there's a, a sizable number of today's youth, so to speak, wouldn't know Harold Lloyd, for example, or um, maybe not the Marx Brothers, or maybe not some of the others of that of that time. But yeah, Lauren and Hardy, along with Chaplin, are just, I think, just famous. There, there are icons there, images, aren't they? There's famous images as well as the actual, uh, the films and the film stars and the actors and the you know, whatever else goes with it that way. But um yeah, I, I hadn't noticed that reference in Afterlife, by the way. Um, now you come to mention it, I do remember seeing it and not not clocking. I don't know. Maybe I hadn't noticed Ricky Gervais's um, pure love for, for Stan and Ollie at the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing. It's worth looking into because, I mean, the office is, is let's say that's my interpretation of it, is you've just got all this chaos and you've got one character who's uh, kind of almost sitting above it all. But I think if you look at, um, without going on a tangent too much, if you look at his Afterlife, if you look at Derek, that is essentially comedy that is just set in real life, in normal yeah. life. And it yeah. shows you don't have, you know, you don't have to have these wild um, storylines or wild setups. It's basically finding the incredibly amusing in what would appear to be the very mundane. And I can remember also in the office, so David Brent would occasionally do that thing where he'd break the fourth wall and look kind of yeah. at the viewer, yeah. which obviously... And Derek, Derek does did. that as well, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah, it's that just little cast aside. And it kind of, it gives you this slightly double-edged thing, which is where he's kind of bringing you into the joke, but also he's sort of overestimating his own, you know, his own position in whatever scene he happens to be in. But yeah, I'd say it's, um, it tends to be my go-to thing to go and watch um, Lauren Hardy whenever there's, um, whenever there's a dull moment. I think the fourth wall being broken is, is actually, it does go back a long way. I think a lot of silent cinema, there are various scenarios where the fourth wall is broken, but I think, what they do with it, because they obviously transgress both eras, mainly in the talky era, but yeah. um, they essentially, they, they did something different with the fourth wall. So they're pioneers in, in the particular style with which uh, Oliver Hardy just stares at the screen and it gets yeah. to the point of almost being laboured and too much. He just pushes it about yes. as far as you can get away with because it, it's long. Yeah, I think the, um, the model is basically work out how much time would be reasonable to stay hand on his face and then you double it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, 
I mean, watching so many as I have done in the last couple of uh, weeks um, is maybe a bit of overkill, to be honest, in, in such a short period. But even then, it, it lasted well enough, considering how many times he was staring for a long period of time at the screen. And we'll probably get on to talking about motifs either with Phil's uh, Phil's own introduction in a moment coming up in a second uh, I'm sure I don't know if you're going to talk about all the various motifs or not I'd I'll imagine do, you I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a kind of quick potted history yeah. and then I think we'll, we'll get we'll, into the detail we'll, when we go through the films yeah. we'll come to that in a minute but one one thing I would say is <laughs> one of the funniest bits is is just the fact that they they wait around to see how they're going to have violence committed upon themselves all of the characters yeah. all, large and numbers Throughout. There's a lot of politeness involved, isn't there? <laughs> kind of waiting your turn almost. <laughs> a mixture of politeness and curiosity. Let's see yeah. how this is going to pan out <laughs> with something that's definitely going to harm me. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, well, that's great. And I think that's a really good um, attachment you've got there, Robin, with it. I think probably it's the same with me. I remember uh, one of the earliest things I saw on TV were the, the Lauren and Hardy films. And my granddad was still around at the time and I had a lot of love for him as well. So I think I'm sure we probably sat and watched them together as well. I can't remember specifically, but I'm, I'd imagine he was around a lot during the school holidays. So I, I probably share a similar memory in a, in a, in a sense. Um, but certainly I watched a lot of these in daytimes when I had time off uh, for the research for this. And um, it feels all right watching these films in the daytime. It seems to maybe that goes back to the childhood thing of you, you being your either your summer holidays or Christmas holidays or whatever it was, and you'd be sitting and watching these during the daytime, particularly if the weather's bad outside. So it kind of fitted okay watching in, in the day. And um, it goes back to what we said, Phil, about Westerns and watching Westerns. It seemed like it would be a Saturday afternoon thing. Yeah, definitely. Like Bank holiday. Yeah. They all seem to fit <laughs> certain times of day. So, so there's that too. But yeah, I've got a lot of affection for it. Um, where we two do have, going back a long way, Phil, I'm not sure if you... I admit, you uh, until a, about three weeks ago, I, I, to my shame, never watched a single short or film, which is <laughs> horrific, I know. Uh, definitely, uh, yeah, something oh, to be embarrassed about. So no, I, I, went, no. I went full in. Um, I've had a bit of trouble trying to talk, get hold of copies of quite a lot of them. Um, and quite a lot of the ones that are available have also been colorized as well and look oh. pretty horrible but I've, I've had a good go i i haven't i've done, i've kind of concentrated on the on the films i've i've watched a number of the shorts but i've 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 had a good run i watched about you know 12 or 13 of the films and and some of the shorts so I, i'm i'm you know nowhere near either of your you two's level of knowledge here but i'll uh, do my best to muck in where i can Excellent. And you have done a bit of research to, uh, to find I out. Have. So over to you for the next bit. So, yeah, so very sort of brief, brief kind of resume of their career. So Stan Laurel, born in 1890 in Lancashire. I had no idea he was English um, in a theatrical family. Um, he started acting on stage in his teens um, in 1912, when he would have been 21, 22. He went over to the States and while he was there, he decided to remain um, in 1925, he joined the Hal Roach Film Studio as a writer and a director, not so much as a performer. And he didn't really do that that well. I mean, occasional bits in front of the camera, but he kind of had modest success before um, Hal Roach teamed him up with uh, Oliver Hardy. So Oliver Hardy is a couple of years younger than, uh, than Stan. Born in Georgia, he was a kind of popular stage singer in his teens. 
in his uh, early 20s, he started working for the Lubin Motion Pictures, started off doing lighting and props and gradually learned how to get involved in scripts and that kind of thing. And he made an enormous number of shorts. I, I, I read, read, wrote down that it was 177 shorts between 1914 and 1916, um, going on to star in more than 250 shorts, 150 of which are now lost. Uh, but, but then when he was in his mid-twenties, he moved to California seeking new opportunities. So um, together, so they, so they, um, it was, yeah, Hal Roach, who, the film director, um, TV producer, screenwriter, he put them together and found that they kind of complemented each other really, really well. Um, one, one thing I think we might go into a bit more detail, very much at that time, comedy was, you had, was a duo, you had a straight man and a funny guy. And this was kind of seemed to be the first time where you had two that could do both. And I think that was kind of quite revolutionary in its way. Mm. And so whatever the way the script sort of demanded it, they can do it. So they can kind of move things around and they're both equally capable of doing both. Um, they did their first uh, official short together, Putting Pants on Philip in 1927, where still during the silent era. Uh, a couple of years after that, the silent era kind of came to an end and many of the actors and their peers kind of really didn't do very well moving into the kind of the, the talky era. Something we kind of went into when we were talking about Sunset Boulevard, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But they, they they kind of find that they could do really, really well. You know, they, if, if anything, having the dialogue um, and that is one key part of theirs is the dialogue is brilliant. Um it, it enhanced their performances so um they they made a series of shorts um and then um after a number of years they made their first film uh pardon us in 1931 and that made so much money that they pretty much just stayed doing films from then on in hmm. Yeah. Um, they stayed with the Hal Roach studio until uh, 1941 and then they signed with 20th Century Fox and then with MGM. And I think that was kind of the beginning of the end, really. They didn't really have the kind of opportunities and, and the, the, um, the, the they don't, didn't really have the kind of opportunities they had to kind of have as much of an input into the scripts and the direction that they had before. And while the films were successful, I think the kind of golden days were behind them. I think the golden days, from what I can gather, I mean, feel free to put me wrong, but definitely the kind of how how Roach days of the 1930s. I think if you speak to a lot of kind of um, even more diehard fans than me, the date that you'll often get is the kind of the beginning of the end is kind of 1938, 1939. So you've got the kind of Swiss Smith blockheads feature. Yeah. That's, that's about kind of where it really starts. Obviously, there were ones later that do have individual moments but really as a consistent output kind of late 1930s is the is the cutoff yeah yeah Yeah, that's right um one bit to add actually on that um which i'm blatantly nicking from wikipedia but i think it's great anecdote upon his death it says that um uh stan laurel was a smoker until suddenly quitting around 1960 so that's when he was what uh, about uh 63 yeah um and um, he said, in January 1965, he underwent a series of x-rays for an injection on the roof of his mouth. He died on the 23rd of February 
65, aged 74, four days after suffering a heart attack. Minutes before his death, he told his nurse that he would not mind going skiing, and she replied that she was not aware that he was a skier. I'm not, said Laurel. I'd rather be doing that than getting all these needles stuck in me, though. A few minutes later, he died quietly in his armchair, and then at his funeral service, apparently, um, Church of the Hills, Buster Keaton said, Chaplin wasn't the funniest. I wasn't the funniest. This man was the funniest, which is a hell of a tribute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The other yeah, thing about, I think, his final years is um, he lived in a, I think, it, I remember he lived in quite a small flat, I think, in Santa Monica or somewhere in California. Um, yeah. And he was listed in the phone book. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like you think these days is, it's, it, yeah. It just, he spent a lot of time, he answered literally all of his fan mail yeah, as yeah. well, didn't he? I think, yeah. so, I think after Oliver Hardy died, I think this, for the last sort of decade or so of his, his, his own life, he just spent the whole time replying to his fans. I don't think he really did anything else at all. Mm. Yeah, I think I've read similar. And I think because he turned down a few odd, I think that there was a few odd parts that he was offered. I think they wanted, he was offered something, I think it's a mad, mad, mad world. They offered him a cameo, yeah. I think. But obviously, you know, without, without Ollie, he didn't really want to do much. But yeah, I just yeah. love this idea. That he's just sitting in his armchair corresponding with basically anyone who can yeah imagine like, got this image of him simultaneously talking on the phone to someone and trying to <laughs> respond to a fan letter at the same time no, yeah no, different also we were talking off air about um stan and ollie the film and we mentioned it briefly on air as yeah. well uh, worth checking that out actually it's a biopic of the two of them uh in their later years when they've come past the they're well, kind of on like, it, it sort of starts they're filming way out west aren't they yeah and then, and then yeah it kind of moves on into the, the, their, their sort of last European tour yeah and they're doing sort of like just personal appearance type stuff and those those sort of things and it features a scene of them in Worthing interestingly my hometown I'm very close to where you live Phil um, yeah yeah but no, there we go but um, one thing we, we've touched on a little bit about motifs. I think these these films, all of their films, are very, at the very least, characterful and funny uh, consistently. And motifs play a big part in this. Um, we've talked about the staring to camera thing. We've talked about, I think, a little bit uh, about catchphrases. And you've got a series of um, of sort of a, on well, sort of like a, a side characters that keep appearing, and they have their own traits as well. Yeah. All of the, the female characters seem to be quite daunting when pushed, and it doesn't take much for them to be pushed into yes. quite often violent uh, reactions. Uh, either of the two are getting slugged <laughs> with, with with little jabs from uh, from various side characters, including the wives. Um, so you've got the the, the classic her indoors type thing. You've also got, of course, the uh, the, the various mannerisms. So. Ollie's staring at camera. You've got Stan taking his hat off and, scr- and scratching yeah. his kind of tufts of crazy tufts of hair. Um, you've got Stan also going into his um, his kind of <laughs> sort of uh, wincing, kind of cry- uh, crying. Yeah, I don't know how to describe that really. Uh, well, well, one of my one of my favourite things was, um, and I, I wasn't, I, I was, I didn't obviously, I wasn't aware of how good some of the dialogue is and how much work must have gone into it. Is it when sort of Laurel will kind of give Hardy a start, sort of a smart idea and say, say that again and then repeat it back and completely change it and then have something afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. There are these moments of where it's this sort of juxtaposition, like Laurel will come out with an, an utterly genius idea that he actually manages to portray in a really logical way. And it's almost like he's kind of possessed. 
those 30 seconds and he snaps back <laughs> yeah. to reality and he's got yeah. no way of being able to yeah, replicate then, it. There's one bit where he, co- he goes in with some something akin to Shakespearean prose for a moment and they yeah, go, what? Tell me that again. He just can't say it again. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is. And I think that it's something that obviously they, there's the repetition of semi of the same storyline is done a few times across yeah. shorts and pictures, which they get away with. Um, but I think it's the fact that you get the, they they often repeat the same premise, but it doesn't yeah. detract. It's quite often that tit for tat thing, isn't it, where where they'll get yeah. into an argument with something and go backwards and forwards between it. But they, I mean, the films, I mean, they don't really have plots, do they? They have situations that they just sort mm. of mine for maximum comic effect. Yeah, which is why the vast majority of them are quite rightly sort of 20 to 25 minutes in length, and it's yeah. just right. The features work well, but the yeah. shorts are where they really, they've got their forte, haven't they, yeah. really? And, and I think it, it's somewhat ironic that the features that they do, that Hal Roach did try and do, put a proper plot into, are the ones that are the only ones that do fall slightly on mm. their face. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And funnily enough, the, the, the most recent film of probably about 40-odd I've seen recently, to refresh my memory, was a film called Liberty, where they've, um, they've, they've, they're fish sellers, doing well, apparently. And then Stan, as you just said, Robin, comes up with one of these these ideas. It's not actually that genius, but to say, cut out the middle yeah. But he puts it in much more eloquent language. And Ollie sort of changes it into, oh... Um, yeah, that's you're, you're talking about cut, cutting out the middleman. I'm very pleased to see you're finally using my brains. <laughs> I love the little twist on dialogue there. Right. As you said, he appropriates it to himself. Um, the other motifs, you've got um, various um, problems that the duo seem to struggle with in relation to chimneys, ladders, uh, doorbells, um, various bits of crockery that very quickly get broken, yeah. usually on their heads. And if not on their heads, they land on them in piles or something. Yeah. Like that. Um, they go through uh, doors. Although, although the, the violence is kind of very cartoony, yeah. quite often the worst of it happens to, to Hardy in particular, happens off screen. You just hear that noise, don't you? And then it kind of, yeah, yeah in the background, and you can just see cuts to him afterwards where he's sat in a bucket or underwater. Yeah, or something on his head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think, let's say that was Laurel's kind of genius, I think, in that he, he managed to master what he thought the audience had to see and what could be implied from as you say, the sound effects or the, the situation of it. Um, but yeah, I think the other thing is water. If there's water, water. someone is ending up in it in some, <laughs> some guise or other. Yeah, it's relentless, isn't it? The amount of times, usually hose pipes, buckets, yeah. and, and yeah. bodies. Of water. And it's usually hardy, yeah. 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 <laughs> but taps as well. And there's, there's just even the scenes where there's one film where he turns a tap on, the other tap comes on, and he turns it the other way. And, and, and there's just the the combination of ridiculous things that aren't there doing, yeah, but which yeah. they interact with and make even more ridiculous. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, just it's, the, the setups are just uh, ridiculous, quite often utterly preposterous. And that makes it all the funnier because of course, we're talking about slapstick here. Yeah. And um, slapstick in my opinion, and I think Robin, you agree with me. I don't know if you do as well, Phil, pretty much the funniest form people falling over and injuring themselves yeah. is, Invariably, yeah, funny. it's never going to not be funny, yeah. is it? Yeah, especially when you know it's actually it's not leading to serious injury. That you know, yeah. it's, it's all done in such um, a kind of cartoony way that you, yeah, yeah. you seem to yeah, bounce yeah. back up again afterwards. And they they do defy physics sometimes. There's there's one film where uh, there's a, a a hood who's escaped jail. Um, it's I think it's called um, Goodbye. No, uh, I can't remember the name now. Um, 
no, it's gone out of my head. Going bye-bye, that's it. Uh, where there's a there's a hardened criminal that they put inside through their witness testimony, and he's he ends up hidden in a trunk, which they're they're trying to get him out, not knowing who it is. <laughs> uh, and and this guy obviously wants to kill them because they've um they've testified against him. And um you've just got an utterly ridiculous scenario to start with. And um water's involved, of course. Uh, yeah. Drilling holes in boxes to get air out as well, and um, I forgot what I was actually going to say now about it. It's gone out of the head. What were we talking about just now? You, you were talking about yeah, the kind of the sort of surreal. Oh, surreal, yeah. yeah. So, so they're in this box, and and he eventually gets flamed by <laughs> by something. They're trying to burn the lock off, and they burn his ass, and the box just flips up in the air, does a couple of somersaults, and lands back down, which is of course completely unrealistic. Yeah. Um, the, the sla- it's like there's the other ones where. Um, they where where, where um, Stanley Laurel basically puts some sort of tobacco in his hand and then sort of makes it in buckets of pipe and then you start smoking it. Yes, or, or the other one where they where he kind of he kind of uses his thumb as a lighter. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it, it works, but it, I don't know how, it shouldn't. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't fit with most almost all of the rest of what they do. Yeah, what they do is cartoonish, but it's still just about realistically possible. Whereas those things obviously yeah. are. I think that's why they can get away with it for those odd moments, because you've established that they're, they're, they're so ridiculous characters that <laughs> you're not going to let them get away with anything. But occasionally you're kind of, you're willing to suspend belief to go with them on the odd occasion, I think. Yeah. And I think another thing we need to suspend is the order of um, a process here with what we normally do, because normally Phil and I alternate who starts and it's just the two of us counting now fives to one. What we're doing here is a couple of changes of protocol. One, of course, Robin being here as, as a guest as well. Another one is that um, we're covering two subjects in one. So we're going to break this into shorts and into features. We're going to start with the shorts, go with the features later. There are an enormous amount more in short form than there were in feature form um, to start with. So there's less to choose from on the feature side of things. We'll get to that later. Um, Phil, you've mainly focused on features. so I have. Well, I haven't watched so many of the shorts, but I'll, I'll give it a go. Yeah, yeah so with that disclaimer, Phil's only just doing his shorts list now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we're going to start with the short films, um, of which there are an abundant number. And I've watched an abundant number of them, actually, ridiculously in the last couple of weeks. I think my head's spinning now. Um, so I'm going to kick off in a moment. Robin's going to go second, and then Phil's going to wade in with his as well. We're going to do the usual format of the top fives. Um, anything that misses out, we could talk about later on. And there's plenty of things worthy of note and credit, which probably won't feature in any of our fives as well, uh, such as the I'm number- curious to see how, how close that, because there's such a big body of work to see how close the lifts are. Yeah, I think, I think, not, not- I think you'll have a couple in there, would be my guess. I think if you've used your kind of film fan's nose to, um, to decide yeah. which ones you're going to focus on, um, yeah. I'd be very surprised if, if, you're, if there's none common with Russell. Yeah. Although as Russell is very aware of, I truly despise musicals. So don't don't <laughs> expect many of them. Many of the more musical ones on my list. <laughs> yeah. Well, you sometimes put in a curveball as well. And I know Robin in other subjects, uh, when we've discussed, you've thrown in a curveball or tried to be contentious with uh, opinions on various subjects. So it'd be interesting to see if that yeah. comes into the equation. We'll see. Well, let's let's right. get then. Let's, let's get going. So we'll we'll do in the in the rest of part one. We'll do our, our all of our countdowns. I think for our top fives for short films. So I've gone with something that's probably not very typical of them. It's uh, at number five. It is one of their silence. Um, it feels a bit weird having seen loads of talkies 
before I came to my first silence on, you know, on, on revision here, um, they, they almost feel a bit odd <laughs> seeing them. It seems better when they're talking. However, I think one of their silent films is, is worthy of great note, and it just about squeezed ahead of what could have been about 15 others in this top five. At number five, it's Big Business, Big which business, is yeah. the story of them uh, selling Christmas, or rather trying to sell Christmas trees uh, to people as, as door-to-door salesmen. Um, and it involves um, <laughs> multi-destructional fights, I think is the way it's described on IMDb, um, <laughs> to do with one particular disgruntled homeowner. Uh, this is the film that's probably got just about pound for pound the most um, destruction in it, I think, of any of their short films. Uh, magnificent film. It stars one of the p- people that we're going to mention quite a bit, I think, during this uh, podcast, James Henderson Finlayson. I think who, he was in something like 33 of their films, yeah, wasn't he? Pretty prolific. And yeah, two, two or three He things. was another Hal Roach um, kind of employee, wasn't he? Yeah, he was pretty much, yeah, pretty much an ensemble member of the, of the, of the team. I think he must have been a, a studio man. He was a Scotsman um, who didn't really lose his accent. <laughs> so you can tell he's Scottish from, from, his, um, from his talkies that he's in. Obviously not this one because it's a silent. But he, he was um, Scottish-born, uh, Stirlingshire, I believe it is, moved to the States when he was 24, stayed over there. And um, he featured in a number of films, but predominantly in Lauren and Hardy films. And he plays the comedy stooge that they play off in various roles. He's usually an outraged guy or a, an incredulous butler or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, Robin mentioned it earlier, the dull that Homer Simpson does, yeah. that, that comes from him. comes from yeah. him. He, he normally goes, oh, uh, or something like that. He's got this starey-eyed, over-exaggerated... He's always got a big uh-huh. moustache that I'm led to believe is fake yeah, as that's well. Right. Yeah. So to, to kind of have such a, a magnificent moustache in almost every feature you're, that you're in, I bet it not be real seems a bit weird, but yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that, that is what I've heard as well. And he he, he does the staring to camera. He does the... Uh, He's got a special look, though, isn't he, where he kind of closes one eye and sort of squints a bit at the camera, doesn't yeah, he? that's it. And also does a stereoid kind of yeah. thing as well. And um, in this particular one, he's playing the house owner, who's, I think, the second or third house they call at. And um, due to a, a, an unfortunate exchange that escalates very quickly, um, I think initially they, they press the bell. He's not interested. Um, part of the Christmas tree they brought to the door to show him gets stuck in the doorway. So they press the bell again. That annoys him a little bit more. Then he gets, Stan gets his coat caught in the door. Uh, and so, of course, gradually this guy's getting more irritated and it turns into a fight. And the fight escalates between mainly between... Um, Lauren and Hardy's car and uh, this homeowner's house coming yeah. under brutal It's a tit for tat thing that we mentioned earlier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which comes up a lot. It comes yeah. up a lot. And there is actually a film called Tit for Tat, which we might mention yeah. later. But um, yeah, in this, it, it just gets more and more ludicrous. They are literally just hacking down and destroying each other's property on an ongoing basis for quite a period of time. It's a sign. Well, it's of- only 19 minutes long, but it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's relentless yeah. and it's got you, you've got another ca- classic um side character which is the 
the beat copper who uh, who just uh, in this case actually is on in a car just n- notices it and he's there busy taking notes for ages while all this violence is going on rather than intervening which is great and then he eventually gets involved and then of course he, he gets embroiled in it all as well uh, and there's there's the usual comedy payoff at the end with how the story ends I won't spoil it in case you haven't seen it and want to want to look but um, that one I, I love that I love that quite a lot of them the, the premise is that they're salesmen it's always the most weird things that they're, they're trying to sell so this one's it's christmas trees isn't it yeah in swiss it. in swiss miss it's mouse traps or in tit for tat they've got an iron mongers or appliance place rather yeah there's always something yeah weird that they're trying <laughs> and somehow they've they're, they're paid, placed as being successful um at the start of the story and you you you're baffled no. as, as to how they can no be successful <laughs> the time that we see that all unfold in in a bad way yeah so that's my number five um i think there's so many one to of the, the last short films yeah yeah exactly so yeah just mentioned 1920 and one of the more famous ones Indeed, yeah. 1929, it was directed by James W. Horn. And Leo he did McCary. quite a lot of them, didn't he? Yeah, that's it. Um, H.M. Walker wrote it, and Leo McCary, uncredited for supervising and, and, um, and writing. But they do say, uh, from, what, from what I gather, I think Stan Laurel was pretty much a director and a scriptwriter in, in a lot of these films. I think Oliver had Harden was just quite happy to just turn up and get wet and then go yeah. off and play golf. Whereas I think Stan Laurel, I think he, he did clash with a lot of directors and a lot of producers because he had a definite, you know, idea of what, what, what should, what it should be like. Yeah, absolutely. And I did have, and it's just disappeared from the screen, which is very annoying. I was going to show you the poster of, um, Always good in the podcast. Yes, yeah, always good. But just, just, just for the benefit of uh, of you two, um, one other mention mention is that there's quite often very, very weird posters, not just for Laurel and Hardy films, actually, for for others besides. And um, this one is is not not a stranger to that. So uh, can't get it to stay on the screen. So big business has this poster, which I think would anyone who's got kids, this would probably scare the kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oliver Hardy. Utterly terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, it's cartoonish sort of drawings, which uh, don't always work too well. Um, and it certainly doesn't here. It's terrifying me, that's for sure. Right. But that's that's it pretty much on, on my one for that. Uh, any other thoughts on big business? And um, we'll find out if they're further up your in your fives in a moment. But uh, that's pretty much it. So, Robin, next to you, sir. Yeah, um, my number five is probably the short that is the most famous amongst people who have not seen a lot of Lauren Hardy. And I've gone for the music box at number five. It might feature highly higher on other people's list. Um, Obviously, it won an Academy Award in 1932. I think it's it's their only Academy Award. I think they got a music one for one of the other films. But yeah, that wasn't for them, really. I think Way Out West won a music one or something. Yeah, I think it won a music so I've gone for that, and obviously it was it was also I read it was selected um, for preservation by the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress. So they've selected it for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Um, so it's it's kind of it's one of those ones that you can't really leave out, um, even though they've got such an enormous body of work in short. It, it has to be in the list of top yeah, five yeah. somewhere. Um, yeah. it, it was a remake of one of their earlier silent films. Um, called Hats Off um, and in that one um, instead of having to move a piano and Hats Off they have to move a washing machine but it's up the very same set of steps 
So this oh, is quite oh, an early example. I didn't really, realise that. Yeah. Yeah, of them really not going too far away from um uh, from, from a, a favoured storyline. And I was and I was texting Russ about this earlier. You can actually go and still visit these same steps. I was thinking that because the, the, the sort of the vast majority is is based on that kind of sort of set of steps all the way up that hill, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So it's um they're located in the Silver Lake district of Los Angeles, down from Hollywood. Um, and what would be the front of the house um, at the top of the hill is a park opposite there, which is um these days called Laurel and Hardy Park. So yeah, it's, um, if you ever find yourself um in Los Angeles and you don't want to do the, the standard um, standard film. Film route, you can go and see the steps. Is it, uh, Robin? Is it actually eleven twenty-seven Walnut Avenue, or whatever it's called? Is that the same or Walnut Park? <laughs> no, it's, I, I wish it was. It's not, unfortunately. Because <laughs> that's um, what they quote in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've gone for this, and I, I think the, another the enduring appeal of this one is that it, it, it focuses on something that, you know, nearly a hundred years later, I think we've all had to experience at some point, which is trying to awkwardly move a bit of furniture. Either up, down, yeah. in a car, car, whatever it is. Because um, their, their job in this one, they're, they're delivery people, aren't they? They run their own delivery business, yeah. and they're hired to move a piano to, a, to a, as a sort of birthday present, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Deliver it to a deliver it as a surprise birthday present. Yeah, to, yeah. to a guy who lives at the top of a hill. Yeah. Um, um, and I think it, so it just brings me that kind of friends, you know, pivot <laughs> moment, probably in modern day. Um, uh, modern day scenes is probably the similar, but yeah, you're right. It's um, and it, it's got this, um, you know, it's got as we've talked about, it's got so many of the really common slapstick tropes are in there. I mean, it's the repetition of the same obvious mistake. The piano continually rolls down the. You hill. can see all the jokes coming a mile off. Yeah. It doesn't make it um, any less funny. You still no, you're exactly. staggering the whole time. Um, You've got, you know, utter chaos comes from them actually trying to be polite and gentlemanly. So at one point, obviously, they stand to the side to let this lady with a pram go past, which then, you know, inevitably results in the piano going down again and them ending up hitting each other in an altercation. She's laughing at them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So you've got this kind of, you know, Ollie sort of southern gentleman in him, even at the most difficult moments that come to the fore. and obviously, you know, the brilliant thing is missing out what turns out to be the very easy solution, which would have been driving the piano to the top of the hill and into the front of the house in the first place. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the falling into water is in there yeah, as well. Yeah, the fountain at the top of the hill, you just know yeah. what's going to happen there. Don't you? Yeah, you're just there. And, you know, managing to make such an enormous mess of the living room, just unpacking a piano. <laughs> and then, um, yep. you know, without, without spoiling it too much, at the end, you know, having having the fact that the person they were delivering the piano to, they've had a, a previous run-in with earlier in the uh, year. Yeah. It's Billy, Billy Gilbert, that. isn't it? Who, who's, he's an incredible-looking yeah, exactly. incredible guy. He turns out, obviously, in some of their other films. Is he the guy that's the, um, op- the music? He's in Blockhead as well, isn't he? Yeah. 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 But he, yeah. yeah. And he doesn't even like pianos. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's the thing. <laughs> And you've got the, you know, it finishes with the, um, it finishes with the ultimate kind of, um, you know, clown plastic moment of the ink (laughs) squirting in his face when he's trying to sign the, finally sign the kind of delivery, the delivery note. So I think it's probably, it's got, I imagine it's been selected for, um, you know, for preservation because it manages to cram in 
basically it's not there. most of these shorts are sort of 19 minutes i think aren't they because i think, that yeah, the, I think it, that, is, that's the length of a real a film i think wasn't yeah. it that, in those yeah this is 29 minutes so it's slightly so, longer so, than the other one yeah but yeah whether it's a two mail or a free reel i think hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah that's and, my um, that's my number five on the subject of that, um, <clears throat> actually, I'll, I'll mention something else about it later um, because it might feature in my top five somewhere. So I'll, I'll leave. I'll hold my keep my powder dry for anything further to say on that one. But it is a classic, and I think that the, the whole scene that works well, it's, it's, it's pretty much the whole film, but the extended scene of them trying to get this up the the steps is one of the classic scenes of of Hollywood and film in general. And it's um, whatever you think of the film, wherever it rates, and it's rated highest among shorts on IMDb. But you've put it at number five. I may not have it at number one. Who knows? Um, and Phil, who knows as well? But um, it's that scene as a whole is just utter classic, isn't it? It's a complete classic. It is. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Phil, what's your number five? I know this is. Sorry, a I haven't watched as many, but for my number five, I've gone for um, the film Tit for Tat which oh, is yeah. obviously an explanation of quite a lot. It's a 1935 um, short. So it's a kind of a sequel. Um, there's a, There was a, a, another short I think came out earlier that year called or the year before called Them Nar Hills, where they kind of went away on holiday and ran into bootleggers. Um, this one, they, they open up their own home kind of appliance shop um, and then they find out that their kind of nemesis run the, run the shop over the road. Mr. And then it's just... Yeah, and then it's just a case of one of them going over to their shop and doing something horrible to their goods, and then another, and then he'll come over and do something back in their shop, and it goes backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. So yeah, and it, it it's it's just hilarious, isn't it? And you've also got there's another character, there's another character who just keeps coming in and stealing everything out of their shop, <laughs> blatantly says hello to them as he walks says out, to yeah. and they seem oblivious to it, don't they? Which is brilliant, uh, really funny, and just the way they do stuff to each other. It's just the the aftermath. I mean, one at one point they he pours an entire bucket of lard over the, the yeah. <laughs> huge <laughs> ring of lard all over his head with just eye holes, <laughs> which is just utterly brilliant. It's just so good. And um, there seems to be a, yeah, there's a whole running joke about taking out um, food when they when they visit this Mister yeah. Horsham. They keep nicking the food and eating things pours. and eating it in front of him. Yeah. Yeah, and they, he pours something on there equivalent to sort of um, uh, local anaesthetic. Yeah. I can't remember what, it, what the actual item is. And it, um, they, they end up with their mouths all... <laughs> and then the policeman ends up having that as well. So there's all sorts of stuff going yeah. on. But again, it's waiting to... You're standing politely waiting to see what exactly they're going to do and how it's going to affect what's gonna, What's going to happen next? They take it and then they react a few minutes later by going into the other shop it's great yeah. Brilliant. And, the so amount, and the amount of things they pack into the again 19 yeah. minutes or yeah. whatever it is and the thief yeah. he ends up rocking up with um a, a delivery van doesn't he so he's, yeah, right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> he's taking whole huge items away from the shop and they're not bothered they're not even noticing because they're too busy being wrapped up with yeah and that's completely unrelated to the rest of the story you think in yeah. a short it would be yeah. quite a simple premise but because this other character just do doing these other stuff while in the background yeah <laughs> it is brilliant it just it literally that was literally my next choice for top five so it just missed out for me it was a really really good film i love it absolutely love it and it is very very similar to uh big um 
business as well, as yeah. you probably will notice from the description of what, what happens. Yeah. Robin, have you, uh, I presume you, you're a fan of that film as well? Yeah, I am. I've actually still referenced Ben Mar Hills. Ben Mar Hills is actually in my top five. Tip for tat, just missed out similarly. Oh. But um, very, I think it's a, those two are kind of a unique example of still reference where they actually, they follow on from one another. Whereas yeah, every other, think... every other, film or short it's almost like they're rebooted characters every yeah. time yeah they, they, they've got a different wife or different girlfriend yeah. or different job or different circumstances or, or yeah in one film in bonnie scotland he suddenly stan mook laurel or whatever yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah they also have yeah they do these little pairings so at one point um there's one of the f- films i saw um stan laurel's asked by ollie to um dress up as a woman to masquerade as a maid when they they're, they're in somebody's house um, when they're not supposed to be and then <laughs> they're hosting a potential tenant to, to look after the house while the guy's away and the guy's already gone away and um stan's dressed as a woman um but he's also dressed as the butler separately uh, called hives and the next film I, the very next film i saw which is probably because of the way they packaged it on the box set was there is a butler called Hives, so they keep repeating little little um, topics there as well. Uh, you get that a few times too. Yeah, but it's a yeah, it's it's a really good film, and um, yeah, I love it. And I, it just missed out on my five, same as Robin, and same as Robin. Uh, them Thar Hills may feature in the top five. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> we'll Back see. to you then, Russell. Okay, well, at number four, I've got them, the hills. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to wait long for that. That wasn't too much um, suspension, but, um, was there, ex- excitement? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a classic. I know Robin loves this one because we talked about it before. 1934, 20-minute short. Uh, it involves the premise of Stan and Ollie, essentially, um, due to, I think, due to health reasons. Is this the one with the, tr- with the horns? I'm trying to remember now. Well, they're, they're in the horn shop and they're told to... No, that's a separate one, isn't it? Yeah. No, but this, this is the one that um, uh, Ollie's got... Um, or gout. gout. He's got yes. gout, yeah. Man after my own the heart. The recommends a, a trip to the mountain, the mountain yes, air, to cure it. Yeah, which um, I'm sure is actually a, a, a credible recommendation, in fact, in medically no. speaking. Probably not. He, he wants the kind of clean water, but they put yeah, the moonshine in the Yeah, in gout, the, by the uh, way, the gout, well. gout and people in um, plasters on their feet... It features heavily as well. Yeah. I'm not quite sure having plaster on your feet really helps gout, to be honest. No, only the best people get gout, don't they, Russell? Absolutely, Robin, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they go to the mountain. He's recommended to go there. So, of course, they both go together because they always do. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, bootleggers have dumped some moonshine in a well after a shootout. Um, and, of course, the two stumble upon this well. They want some water. So they end up tasting this moonshine, thinking it's water, Stan um, is then told by Ollie that, oh no, this is just the iron in the water. It's good for the, it's good for you and everything else. And they're drinking away. And <clears throat> Mr. Hall, who's the the other shopkeeper in Tit for Tat, uh, this is the one directly prior to that. Um, he turns up in sort of really toffish outfit with his wife, and he goes off. Uh, they, they borrow something. Uh, borrow some gasoline, don't they? He goes off to get the car, and she stays with them and has the water. She, and- she I've got to say, she's played by. Um- may bush who um yeah who turns up in a, in a lot of their films and she normally plays quite high maintenance yes <laughs> highly strong women yeah we'll we'll talk about her a bit more actually yeah, yeah later on because i've got a couple of notes on her but um yeah she she plays the wife they all end up getting absolutely hammered on the moonshine and then mr hall comes back 
takes great exception, as all male partners of side characters always do in these stories, uh, quickly gets aggressive with them, actually assaults one of them, <laughs> punch, does, does the short jab punch, yeah. and it ends up with a whole load of tit-for-tat stuff going on. And in the end, they completely stitch him up like a kipper with, with what they do. And he's left, well, literally with his tail between his legs, I think, in one sense. I think isn't he um, tarred and... <laughs> Tarred and feathered, yeah. There's tarred yeah. and feathered, and there's a plunger involved. All of the normal, all of the good stuff. <laughs> that you normally get. And this yeah. is another, it's a classic example that was just said about them being so polite in it. And that, you know, the husband very at the end, he very politely asked Stan for a map, you know, <laughs> to kind of ignite only at the end of it. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. I said, have you got a match? Yeah, and it. <laughs> It's it's brilliant. A great setup. Um, they're in a trailer. The whole trailer. This is the other thing: beds, uh, cars, and uh, and other objects as well um, regularly collapse. This is another huge yeah. uh, motif in Lauren and Hardy, isn't it? And and all of that happens here. Um, you get it with boats, uh, trailers, uh, trucks, whatever it might be. Things just collapse, and beds in particular. Uh, and in this case, it's it's both. I guess it's a caravan, so it just it falls apart and destroys everything. Um, it's directed by Charlie Rogers. By the way, the writing credits, according to IMDb, are Stan Laurel, uncredited, and H.M. Walker again, uh, uncredited. Um, and as you said, May Bush is the main side character in it as well, who will appear in loads of their other films. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, without any further ado, unless any further comments on Damnar Hills. Yeah, great film. I was just going to say, I think Damnar, this is possibly my favourite. Lauren Hardy quote is probably in this one, which is when the doctor is suggesting that Ollie's gout is caused by too much high living. Dan suggests that they go and live in the basement instead. <laughs> <laughs> so the, it's kind of very simple dialogue, but it's it's the way it's kind of delivered with this slight um, innocence and literal um, sort of um, intent behind it. It's just um, it's excellent. <laughs> So my number four is um, one called Hog Wild, oh, yeah. 1930, running time 20 minutes again. Um, it's a very interesting example. I know we talked at the beginning about how most Lauren Hardys involve them in some kind of money-making scheme um, because they're kind of down on their luck. Um, this one is an interesting example of where the Hardys, at least, are portrayed as being quite well off. Um, and... I'm certain that the only reason they've done this is that they can include them having a maid. And the maid's sole um, role in this is to perpetuate the joke about Ollie not being able to find the hat that's actually on his head. So I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that it's just a long-running setup yeah. to enable them to kind of crowbar this, um, this joke in. And also this... Ollie. Uh, Ollie's got this sort of saving face, this almost trying to save face element to him, which is completely hopeless in all of his all of his scenarios. Yeah. And he, he he tries to black his way out of this by hiding the hat, walking out the room, saying, oh, I'll have one last look around, and then comes back with a hat. So he comes back with it. And they obviously um, leave it on his head. Which is I've got to be honest, I've, I've seen this one. I, should, I need to watch it. It's this excellent. One. This is well worth watching. The premise of this one is they need to put a... Uh, he's, um, Ollie's wife has asked, uh, him to put a radio aerial up on the top of the house um and it is it's it is excellent you can imagine stan turns up um and it's just one of those ones where you can see so many problems at the beginning 
potential problems in virtually every scenario you can probably imagine turn out to be exactly what um exactly what happens plus a few um, slides <laughs> yeah and i think it's the um this is an interesting one so you can imagine them trying to put up the air and involve them bringing down their own chimney and various other um sort of problems befall them and it was one this is a classic one we think uh, they established that they, you just think that an accident has kind of reached its, its climax. And actually, there's always one more brick to fall down yeah. on, on his head, just normally when you think the whole thing is... They they really do know how to milk a joke for all of it yeah. all it's worth and then milk it even more. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and obviously what happens is that, that the, the ladder that they've got to try and get this area up doesn't quite reach as high as they need to get it. So the idea is that they balance the ladder on Stan's car to give themselves a bit more leverage to get higher. Which, you know, as we've talked about cars, what can go wrong? So what what um what ensues is a is a is a standard classic Laurel and Hardy kind of over the top car scene um, with slightly unbelievable kind of rear projection in it in terms of <laughs> the scenes that have been chosen to be overlaid in the background. Um, but it sees Ollie kind of precariously perched on top of this ladder um, on the back seat of Stan's car whilst he's trying to um, simultaneously get control of it and not crash into anything. And there's this slightly ludicrous moment where Ollie's at the um, at the top of this ladder and he manages to find time. He come, they come level with a double-decker bus and there are these ladies are sitting on the top of the double-decker bus and Ollie manages to find time in amongst this kind of mortal danger to be able to you know, tip his hat to them <laughs> in the midst of all of <laughs> all of this, which is kind of harks back to that, you know, the kind of the southern gentleman idea that even if he's in mortal danger, he's not, um, you know, he's not forgetting his manners. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, there's this inevitable crash, um, which which you'd expect. And Mrs. Hardy arrives upset because actually it turns out the radio aerial's been repossessed. <laughs> so actually, everything that's happened before is totally in vain. In, in kind of classic, classic style. And um, Dan's car, as normal, has been mangled in some catastrophic way. Uh, and usually in this one, he actually manages to drive away from it, yes. um, which is quite unusual. So the film kind of finishes on something of a positive note. But I just enjoy it again because it's, um, as you said, so they managed to kind of um, really squeeze out every available bit of comedy from the, the 20 minutes they've got. It's just so tightly done. Yeah, there's not really a single moment. I'm, pre- and I'm pretty sure it was Stan. It was Stan Laurel doing that, wasn't he? I think he took everything yeah. very, very seriously, mm-hmm. and he he knew what he wanted, and yeah, he knew he knew how to get it. Yeah, but if right. you haven't watched it, I would um, I would yeah, I'd really well, that's going on the list definitely. Yeah, and often with these films, we haven't talked about theme tunes. Actually, we'll probably come to that later. I guess we'll talk about that later on. But one of the other thing they often have, even in the in, in the talkies which is most of the films um they've usually got kind of titling as well which in some cases have been restored from the past others you might have seen in the past already on there but um the the tagline for this one was amnesia mr hardy was beginning to forget things but mr laurel had no fear of losing his memory as a matter of fact mr laurel never had a memory to lose (laughs) and the other bit there was a bit of um trivia as well that they picked up on their on their website saying that the leggy girl lifting her skirt as she attempts to navigate a puddle of water as stan approaches ollie's house at the beginning of the film is dorothy granger who also portrays Hardy's maid, which I didn't realise until I read yeah. it. Interesting. No, I didn't. 
Yeah. A lot, yeah, I think quite a lot of the same actors and actresses were all, all kind of um, yeah. part of the Hal, Hal Roach studio, that's, weren't yeah. they? And they were all on contract. I think so. And that scene, by the way, where he, he's distracted, he looks at the girl with the legs, and then he drives across a really busy road with cars yeah. flying. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. The rear projection just doesn't quite work, does it? But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an it, odd it's scene, exactly. actually. It just looks a bit weird. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, great stuff. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, and yeah, a great film. Really good choice, actually. There, I love it. Brilliant. So uh, my number four is actually Big Business, which we've already uh, discussed. Yes. Yeah. So back over to you, Russell. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> sort of, because it's kind of back over to whoever's next. Because my number three is the music box. Uh, the only a couple of bits I will say about it. I th- I feel that. You're right, Robin. That's the one that people, if they don't know much about Laurel Hardy and they're trying to recall something, that would be the first thing they'll probably remember because it's the most famous scene probably of the lot, uh, the, the whole scene with the steps. Um, I think watching it again, it's great. It's really good. Um, I was expecting it to be my number one just based on my memory, and I hadn't seen any of these films, actually, I should say, uh, for many, many years until... Uh, until the preparation for this in the last couple of weeks, two or three weeks. Um, and it's not quite the best one for me. I, I was expecting it to be, and it wasn't. And I feel it could even almost have been a bit lower. It could have been, I think, Robin, you had number five, didn't you? Music box, it, I think it was, you put it at. And I think it could easily have been the same for me. Um, but I think it's it's gravitas and it's fame and the, and the sheer classic yeah. step, step scene. It has it's to, iconic, isn't it? Yeah, it had to be somewhere in there. So I've gone for that and my number three. Um, the only other thing I was going to mention about um, about it, which we haven't talked about so far, was the scene where the revelation, that they've asked the postie what the, the address for this place to drop it off, where's, you know, 1127 Walnut Drive or whatever it's called. Um, and um, the postie says, oh, it's at the top of the hill. Um, it's the house you can see right at the top. He doesn't help them with any more detail. Then, of course, we have all the scenarios and it's yeah. the same postie who then says, oh, if you guys been trying to go all the way up the stairs, oh, you should have just driven round. He's yeah, the one that yeah. reveals what they should have done. <laughs> the bit we haven't mentioned is they then carry the piano all the way back, back down out, so they can bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> the the stairs at the time, which is just great, a great little gag as well. The notion that these exhausted delivery guys um, trying to run their own business would then waste a bit more time going back downstairs oh fantastic but it is a great film i think it just about uh deserves its place where i've put it at number three certainly i think it uh it is a classic and there's no more to say on that really I don't, we've already talked about it i guess so unless anyone's yeah. got any further ads uh to that one no we can pop it straight back to um who's next Robin. Robin. Yeah. yeah um so my number three is county hospital Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is from 1932. Um, considering the length of this one, only 19 minutes again, um, it manages to pack. It puts a lot in, yeah. Quite an incredible oh, oh. I think we were losing you a bit there. Robin's breaking up a little bit there. In such a short period of time. I mean, the highlight. Yeah, you just break up a bit there. Sorry, you didn't catch your uh, comments on that, Robin. We'll just see. We're trying to sort something out with your Wi-Fi. So just while, while you're doing that, I'll just go with a couple of details. So County Hospital is a 1932 film. Yeah, 19 years short. Uh, James. Well, he's got a broken leg, isn't he? And Stan goes to uh, 
to, yeah. to visit him and brings his own food. Yeah, and his own chaos. The slapstick moments where people start flying through the air, uh, I, I, I can't help but laugh, screaming out loud with laughter. And this has got one of those moments right at the beginning of the film, hasn't it, where uh, the doctor comes in and gets knocked out the window uh, because Stan's fiddle around with some equipment. <laughs> and Ollie goes flying up in the air. And it's just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. The Doctor, again, is Billy Gilbert again, isn't it? Who was the the, uh, the guy yeah. who was um, having the piano delivered in a music box. Yeah. Yes, that's right. It's him again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Another of, of the entourage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert, are you back with us? I think you are, aren't you? Yeah, and I am back. If you can hear me. Um, yes. Yeah, that's what my comment was on the counterweight. Again, that, that is just the funniest bit. You know, simultaneously trying to, Dan trying to keep the doctor from falling out the window and trying to keep Ollie in bed at the same time. It's, it's just uh, now the bed collapses again, of course. Various yeah. other things happen. Um, and I say so this one you mentioned obviously Stan bringing the food, um, hard boiled <laughs> eggs and nuts. Oh, it's just, I don't know what's so fascinating and so funny about watching Stan eat a hard boiled egg. It just is. And then he goes for uh, a second one. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it, it's his, his inability to be tactful as well, which is basically saying candy was too expensive. You didn't pay me back for the last box. Mate flying in hospital. There's no, um, there's no sympathy. But I mean, I think actually my, I think almost my favourite moment of the whole thing is when Stan actually gets lost on the way to Ollie's room, and he ends up in the maternity ward instead. Um, and he takes the time to un- unwrap the blankets of this baby to see if somehow Ollie is underneath. Them. It's delivered with this kind of his usual and yeah, somewhat ironic kind of theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just it's brilliant. And then you move on to another example of that stands almost genius, which is deciding that the only way he can get Ollie's class of leg. Obviously they, they then get thrown out of the hospital. Of course. Quite an unusual <laughs> development. Um but so Stan is then obviously trying to help Ollie get dressed. Um, and he decides in his slight genius that the only way that he's going to get Ollie's leg, uh, you know, into the, 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 the blaster, yeah. one of the legs, um, which is just such a good idea. You know, that you yeah. cannot fault the idea. Obviously, the, um, the payoff is that he ends up cutting the trousers of the guy who's sharing a room with Ollie yeah. and not his own. And that's <laughs> after he's cut the wrong leg on what he's, he's cut the wrong leg. Yeah. First. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is, um, you know, and I think it's a classic example of saying how close Stan can be to being a genius. And, you know, it just kind of, there's that yeah. one iota where he falls short in it. Is um, that the one where then, you, sit, you sit on a needle as well and get Yeah, I was about to say, you then you yeah. move on from what is almost genius to then him having zero spatial awareness and sitting on a, a hypodermic needle full of sedatives. Yeah. Um, and then you're getting into the car to drive yes. Ollie home. <laughs> Whilst you know, increasingly under the influence of these um, these sedatives, with a ridiculous um, back protection, it, it is yeah, again over the place. And you know, we talked about in the in the previous one about you know the the car having this predictable crash, um, and in in this instance, it cannot drive away because it can only drive around in circles. And you've got this police, but you've got this traffic irate traffic policeman trying to move them on. And they can literally only drive in perfect circles. 
Uh, it's absolutely terrific. It's such a good film. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, there's two or three moments there, which are just brilliant. But people, as I said, flying up in the air and and that scene with the with the with them being hoisted up in the air and the doctor being out the window is just comedy gold. It's it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I, I was crying with laughter watching that again. Yeah. Brilliant. Great stuff. Um, anything else on that one, Robin? Or have you, you covered it now? Yeah. No, that was it. Yeah. Okay. And um uh, Phil, that brings us probably the last so, one, maybe in part one as well. This bit, I yeah, think I need another beer. Uh, so, we... um, my number three of the shorts, I've gone for Busy Bodies from Ooh. 1933. So, basically, that's the one where they work in the sawmill, yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, obviously, it's another short. It's again, it's 19 minutes long, and just watching them trying to, you know, work on a window and various other bits and pieces again you can see all the jokes coming a mile off um and it's just hilarious and then they, they also kind of getting involved with other people that are working there as well and trying well, to get them into trouble can i ask you phil because you wouldn't have seen it before did you get the impression when you started watching it at the beginning and they show the um the circular saw as part of the yeah bit did you get the impression uh, what was going to happen to the car was going to happen to the car because i had a i had a hint of it i hadn't seen it for so long no no but, yeah when it chops um, it off it chops it down the middle car goes yeah. in half which is utter utter comedy gold as well it's so funny yeah. um i i think i had a, a notion that was going to happen i thought oh i bet the car somehow goes through the sawmill <laughs> um, <laughs> sure enough that does happen towards the end um i think this is a great film it's so yeah. funny the bit where he goes through the shoot the shoot uh, right he gets stuck at the end doesn't he? <laughs> it's brilliant stuff yeah it's it's a really well, i think really... the bit the bit with the window for me when they're trying to when ollie gets stuck in it his, his hands stuck in it it's just yeah it's you, 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 you watch it and it's so well choreographed you think they must have had had to run through that, practicing it so many times to kind of get it, to get every aspect of that right, because it is it is perfect physical comedy. I'm 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 surprised that um, he didn't have constant concussion actually, uh, yeah. Hardy, because again you said about the takes, everything looks perfectly symmetrical. It lands right on the top of his head or right where it's supposed to land. That's not going to happen with every take. How many times did he get hit, uh, effectively unnecessarily as well during yeah. filming? Yeah, given how many films they made as well um yeah. but yeah it's just it's just brilliant he gets both hands stuck in the window frame that he's making um and one's up, up at the top one's at the bottom diagonal opposites and um he ends up with some shenanigans with a with a colleague doesn't he they play a prank yeah. on him first sounding a horn and then they fall on top of him and he gets annoyed and then there's a great oh that's the other thing as well stan laurel uh stan's got as you said this this enduring stupidity about him mixed in with hints of some potential genius. Yeah. The other thing he's got is this potential sudden whiff of savvy because he does these yeah. these clever punch moves, doesn't he? He gets his hand up and then uses his other hand to punch someone on the chin. He's done it in a few of the films. And it's just, it's too canny for someone like Stan, but Stan's yeah. the man that does it. Yeah, and he does that in this film, doesn't he? he, he he's putting one arm up and then just punches him with the other arm. Um, and he also tricks him about the no smoking as well. Yeah, yeah. In the immediate aftermath. Adding out the cigars. Yeah. Yeah. kicked out, yeah. Um, it's a brilliant film. I love it. It's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a good way to end, I think, our, um, our fives to threes. We'll probably take...
Oh, do just to mention, I, I need the toilet now because I've been drinking my beer, and today it's been this lovely number, um, Burning Sky, which is a great brewery with a rise pale ale, and it really is great stuff for anyone that likes pale ales. I thoroughly recommend it. A Sussex beer as well, I believe. Cool. You I'm guys, on the London pale, I'm on the meantime brewery London pale ale. Very meantime. nice, it is too. Yeah. And Robin, are you abstaining? Is it a new year resolution? Um, uh, I'm dry January. January. Oh, thing. yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm dry folks in January. <laughs> yeah, well, January is depressing enough without alcohol, so. <laughs> okay, guys, well, we'll take a break there. In yeah, cool. part two, uh, we will start off by finishing off our uh, top fives in the uh, shorts um, category. So we look forward to that when we come back in just a moment. And so to part two of our Lauren and Hardy episode, I say episode, Phil and Robin, we're going to make this, we've decided, into two episodes because it has runs... It's a bit unwieldy otherwise. Yeah, inappropriately epic for Lauren and Hardy, I think, is is the potential danger. So we're going to make this into two episodes, we decided. So we're going to continue with our discussion on shorts and any other background stuff to do with Lauren and Hardy in this one. And we'll have another episode, possibly shorter, where we'll be covering features which will be published a couple of days later, probably. Um, so without any further ado, back to part two on this episode. Um, and before we start, I'm, I'm having a nice beer called uh, Heelstone, Best Bitter from the Stonehenge Brewery, which I'd never heard of. A friend I've never heard of the Stonehenge Brewery. Any good? Um, it's a bit old school. That was a joke. So it's a terrible joke. Old <laughs> Stonehenge. Um, anyway, it's I don't know yet. I haven't tasted it. <laughs> I'll tell you in a second. Hold on, hold on. Oh yeah, it's a, oh that's nice actually. Yeah, classic cool. bitter. Yeah, Don't know I'm still on, I'm still on the uh, meantime. I'm on the anytime IPA now. Oh, lovely, lovely. And we won't talk, talk about that anymore because we know Robin is having a dry January. <laughs> so yes. we will press on with our uh, with our twos and ones then on the shorts. Um, yeah, and really, it's a, it's a quick start, really, because my number two is your number three, Phil. It's Busy Bodies. The sawmill film, which we've just been talking about at the end of the last part. Um, and I haven't really got anything much more to add to it. It was directed by Lloyd French, who um, directed quite a few of the films. Stan was again on the writing duties. Um, yeah, and, I'm sure uh, assisting the directing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only other thing is I'll say it doesn't have a scary poster looking at it, but it is black and white, which is also unusual. Most of theirs were colorized um, posters. Um, there's not much more to talk about, really, <clears throat> with regard to it other than to say I, th- I thought this film was absolutely fantastic. It has a lot of the typical traits that you would imagine. Um, there's one bit of trivia as well to pick up on. I'll throw in that as well, just to add something. The final gag in the film has Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy accidentally driving their Model T through an industrial bandsaw, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. The blade passes between them and cuts their vehicle in half. Laurel and Hardy biographer Charles Barr, who's, I believe, an English writer who also wrote about Ealing Studios, because I've read one of their books. Anyway, Charles Barr claims that the comedians were nearly killed filming this scene, but Roach Studios special effects director Roy Seawright asserted that they were never in danger, which is a, a curious clash. Um, that gag was a collaboration between Fred Noth's mechanical department and my photographic department, Seawright said. It was done with a travelling mat, um, a travelling split screen. We only had, um, we had only one half go through first, 
Then we introduced the other half. So ultimately, it was accomplished on an optical printer, apparently. So it seems to be a bit of ambiguity as to what really happened there. But yeah. wonder if yeah. you know, it who knows? Um, also, it's, it mentions goofs, and there's, there's no doubt these with all sorts of films. But it says, as the boys go into their work area, Ollie walks past, uh, walks into a plank that's being carried that they both walk into once. This is another classic comedy trait, isn't it? Walk into a plank of wood being carried by people. <clears throat> um, in the background, there's a pile of timber, which is in long shot. When the boys are on their feet, it's just a jumble. But when they're sitting down, it's a tidy pile. What a meaningless bit of trivia that turned out to be. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it bridged it over while uh, Robin negotiated his daughter out of, uh, out of earshot, I think. <laughs> um, on that matter, to you. A short one for me because my um, my number two is Denmark Hills. Oh yes, covered up in some detail already, and I'm just looking through my notes. I don't think I've got anything else to add. I mean, the only other um, thing that I've read about is the the speed with which the characters get drunk in there. Um, there's a kind of academic theory. It depends how much credit you're going to give to the strength of the action or the plot. Um, is that actually in reality it was quite a short time between the end of Prohibition and this film being set. So it sort of depends if you want to give them the depth of, oh, they probably haven't actually had alcohol for quite a long time. So it depends how, <laughs> it depends how, kind of how much credit you want to give them in terms of a kind of historical continuity point. But that's the only other bit I had to add on it. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. I know what you mean. Yeah, and you do tend to get drunk quicker if you haven't drunk for a while. So that does make sense. Um, yeah, potentially so. Um, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've got nothing further to add to that either. Obviously, I've already covered it myself. But I knew it was going to be in your top five, Robin, because you mentioned it. You were trying to remember the name of it, weren't you, for a while? before? Yeah, you... that was the one that was really bugging me for ages. Yeah, yeah, but you tracked it down in the end, which is good. Um, good. Yeah, excellent. Well, that's it. Straight over to you then, Phil, for your number two. So, yeah, my number two is County Hospital. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of the same ones coming up here. I mean, I must admit, I googled, you know, when I was going to watch them, what are the most famous ones and the most highly uh, kind of regarded ones, and I concentrated on those ones first. So, not a massive surprise, I don't think. Yeah, fair enough. <clears throat> sorry a bit of croaky throat as i mentioned earlier so well that throws it straight back to me and really my my top few could have been in any order i have to admit busybody's nearly made it the music box did at one point but um i've gone at number one in the end for 1932 film helpmates which is um about a house party basically has been a house party while the wives are away uh, total carnage complete mess um stanley then helps ollie to clear up that's the general premise um it's directed by james parrott who's directed a lot of their films um again the writers stan laurel and hm walker um who's quite often a collaborator on their stuff um and it's um it's a great film it's, it's really good fun um the general story as i said a shambles of a party um typical catastrophes um occur as they try to tidy up um and um the payoff gag at the end is that stanley manages to tidy it up um partly while ollie's out i think and it's all done nicely but then just to finish off he thinks oh just to make it nice and warm and cozy i'll just light a fire for when she comes in and he uses gasoline 
<laughs> to light the fireplace. And of course, I think it's off. I'm trying to remember if it's off screen, but there's a, a massive noise and an explosion, of course, total chaos. Um, so that's that's the way that pans out. It's um, yeah, it's, it's great fun. It's just the usual carnage. Um, it was a while ago I saw it, so I'm trying to remember some of the details actually for the film, but I don't know if you guys have seen it. But um, I haven't seen that one, no. It, it, it's, it's great fun. Um, the usual sort of stuff, really. There's um, people being banged on the head. Um, there's people, ex- things exploding, people flying across rooms, all the usual, all the usual shenanigans. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's one of the great ones. Yeah, really good. Um, there's also one quote. I'm trying to find it if I can see here. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, oh, where is it? Um yeah, it said, um, yeah, do you realise that this is the only suit that I've got left, says Ollie after another suit's been ruined. It's enough to make a man burst out crying. Stan says, well, I couldn't help, and I was doing the best I could. Shut up and get this mess cleaned up, which is another classic um, motif. Yeah. He constantly orders Stan around to tidy stuff up or go over there or do this. I'll sort it out, that kind of thing. And he says, do you know that my wife will be home at noon? Um, say, what do you think I am? Cinderella. If I had any sense, I'd walk out on you. Well, it's a good thing you haven't any sense. It certainly is. Just <laughs> <laughs> with that calm authority of the really stupid man. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, it's 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 a great film. I, I love it. It's, it's really good. Um, you guys seen it? Does it feature in your time? I haven't seen that one. You've seen it. Um, it was it was going to be one that was going to mention in the uh, in our kind of honourable mention section. So you've um, you've helpfully covered it off for me. Oh, okay. All right, fair enough. If nothing else to add, we can pass it back to you, Robin, for your eventual top pick now. What do we have? My number one is from uh, the same year, I think. It's from, yeah. uh, 1932. 1932, yeah. It's uh, Toad in a Hole. Oh, yes. Which is... I'm going to stick my neck out, actually, and say I think this represents the best 20 minutes of comedy ever committed to film. Wow. Woo. It was close to my top five, but I didn't put it that high up. I'm feeling If I had to do the Frank Skinner girlfriend test on anyone, mm-hmm. I would show you Toad in a Hole. So you're, way out west. This is your Frank Skinner film. Wow. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, we've... We've mentioned that in, in Hogwild, the Hardys were quite well off. This is another classic one where yesterday the boys are, are trying to come up with some new scheme to make money. And this is where Dan comes up with the perfectly sensible idea to cut out the middleman. Oh, that's it. Telling- oh, I, mixed, I must have mixed yeah. up earlier. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. It's quite conceivable that there's, that there's another short where they are probably no, doing I, the same thing. I think I mixed um, it up, to be fair. Yeah. But in this one, um, this is exactly it, where he comes up with this idea. Um, Ollie kind of turns it on its head and says, say that to get, basically, tell me again. And Stan obviously has no <laughs> no yeah. way of repeating it in any way that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, so then obviously they, then, they, go, they go with, um, with Stan's idea. They go and buy a boat, um, which is absolutely not seaworthy whatsoever. So they decide as fishmongers, they're going to cut out the middleman, they're going to catch their own fish, so um, all of the profit will be for them. So they buy this boat, which they're then going to go and, uh, going to go and do up. And what ensues is another absolutely brilliant tit-for-tat battle, this time just featuring 
just Stan and Ollie. Um, and, you know, it, it, it starts with Stan predictably managing to irritate Ollie immediately as they start to put this boat back together. Ollie sitting on the floor painting the rudder of the boat um, and Stan manages to move the, the lever around a couple of times, knocking um, Ollie off to the point where he's covered in paint, um, then manages to soak him with water. Um, and there's this particular scene where Ollie starts to kind of menacingly chase Stan around the boat. And I never failed to cry with laughter because every time you see, you just see Stan's eyes showing from behind increasingly small, small bits of the boat um, in this quite kind of timid, um, timid display. And what then ensues is that Stan is then locked below deck for his um, misdemeanor so that Ollie can basically finish serious work himself. And what you then get is this unbelievable scene where Stan is trying to keep himself and us amused whilst he's locked in there. So he's playing noughts and crosses. He then finds a saw and a little uh, nail, which he then starts to sort of twang to make some music. Um, and he manages to get himself wedged between the mast and the wall of the of the cabin that he's in. And the way he's it, himself just, in the face with the saw, of course, just before. Yeah, it's just an absolute masterclass. Um, and obviously the predictable course of action that you can see coming a mile away is that Stan is going to have to use the saw that he's got to cut the mast down so that he can get out from this. And obviously the payoff is that Ollie happens to be sitting at the very top of the mast painting. I mean, why they've decided of all the jobs that need to be done that the mast needs to be painted at the very top <laughs> at this moment doesn't quite ring true but um it's just so beautifully played out because you can see ollie sitting at the top of this mask and you can hear him he occasionally stops to think where is that soaring noise coming from <laughs> and it's this i think it's the anticipation and the reaction because it's kind of the cornerstone of every brilliant lauren hardy gag it's got this anticipation this reaction and this is just it's just so good because everybody can see it coming from a mile away other than Ollie. Um, and it's just another one where, you know, the, the textbook ending of this is, you know, the boat, their boat is obviously destroyed. The car that they came with is destroyed. Um, and you get the, the final scene of Stan finding his kind of beloved horn that has been blowing at the beginning. It's the only thing which is unscathed amidst all this wreckage. And it's, it's just, say it's... Um, for me, it's just the absolute, it's just the perfect, it's just the perfect Lauren and Hardy um, picture, really. Mm. In terms of shorts, um, hard to argue, and you've, you've argued your case there, Robin, and um, it, it was close to my top five, but I, I, I feel bad I didn't leave it in now, because um, it, is, it is a great film. There's so many good bits in it, isn't there? Um, there's a whole load of stuff to do with... Uh, water exchange isn't there and they actually have a yeah. standoff which is unusual where one's threatening yeah. to throw water on the other and the other's got a hose threatening to splash water and um, they, they keep having a standoff for a moment don't they at one point yeah which you've is- got this bit i've got to mention where um yeah where they're having this kind of um well, they, they have to try and find out all the leaks that are in the boat so ollie's idea is to fill the entire boat up with water so you can then see the leaks which again is it's quite a logical by their standards, that's just quite a logical way of thinking of it. So what happens is that the main cabin gets filled with water, Ollie ends up in the water, decides to then get a bucket of water to pour over Stan as retribution. Which Stan then decides to in that bucket. <laughs> yeah, basically very politely. Um, and then obviously thinks that'll be the end of it. 
they'll now be square. Dan then picks up the bucket and does exactly the same thing to Ollie. And you get this kind of tit tat going. And you get this other politeness where Stan happily waits there whilst Ollie finds this bit of wood to hold open Stan's waders so that he can pour an enormous amount of water in there as well. So it's this, this on-running theme throughout, which is this kind of, as you said, Russ, it's this mix between politeness and also this like curiosity as to exactly what length is this, <laughs> is this next bit going to go to? But um, yeah, great. It, it's a great one. If anyone's not seen it, I would, uh, I'd really recommend it. Yeah, and that's Toad as in T-O-W-E-D. T-O-W-E-D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, Doesn't know, yeah, it's a play on words, obviously, to do with the the towing or non-towing of the boat, I guess you could say. Um, (laughs) All that effort wasted. And, yeah, that is the one I was thinking of earlier. I mixed up titles. It's the one where they're driving along happily. You know, they've made a success of being fish salesmen. um, And then... They, but, of course, they're not satisfied with that. As you said, Stan comes up with this idea, articulates it in one way, can't articulate it in another, and Ollie takes the idea. There, there's, there's some amusing... One thing, I can't remember which film it is now. There was one film where, uh, maybe we'll touch on it in a minute, where they've rigged up... Uh, this said, turn the radio on, and I'm thinking, this looks like a Model T Ford, battered old Model T Ford way after its time, or something like that. Then there can't be radios on there, and sure enough, he flicks a... A, a, a button or something and music starts playing and then they stop because the music stopped and you wonder why i can't remember which film this was now and ollie uh, sorry and stan gets out walks around casually to the front of the car opens one half of the you know the concertina yeah pop, yeah and, and there's a record that's one of the, that's one of the films isn't it yeah it's one of the films yeah there's yeah. a record player is it um blockheads no it's not i don't think it's blockheads is it yeah, uh, yeah. i can't remember what it is oh, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a record player and he's got a selection of records and puts on a different record yeah it and then pulls the string and the string moves the needle onto the record it's great <laughs> utterly ridiculous but anyway that's a digression but with regard to toad in the hole it's a great film yeah yeah thoroughly recommend watching that uh very very good um and um yeah, I mean that's so that's uh, that's an excellent choice, I think, Robin. Hundred um, percent. One bit of trivia, by the way, on that film I'm just reading. Um, it was scheduled to start shooting on the 17th of October, 1932, but was postponed for two weeks while Stan and his gag writers struggled to come up with a workable story. Believe it or not, uh, director George Marshall described how he found a way out of this impasse. He said, I drove to the studio one morning in the Culver City. I passed one of these little fish wagons and this fellow was touting his wares with a long horn as he drove down the street. So I thought, well, maybe that could be the answer with the boys selling fish, but to make more money, catching their own. I had that. Um, I had about that much when I came to the studio. Stan was sitting in his room. I told him about the idea and he said, yeah, that just might work. And the rest is history. There you go. And there's that horn which Robin said, yeah, at the end is salvaged. Yeah, the only thing which is still, <laughs> still, still and horns, are, horns are another motif, actually, aren't they? Because there's one film where they, they're actually in a horn t- testing, uh, sound testing um, workshop somewhere downtown. And, um, and um, Ollie ends up getting diagnosed with hornophobia. <laughs> <laughs> and and several people the opening scene someone's being carried out demented from having worked in the same department so it's at the fourth one this week or something and then he's charged yeah. in the same job and he gets phonophobia and gets sent off to the country or something like that and um horns do feature a little bit you get the um 
the foghorn type horns, don't you? Usually on the yeah. floor, one of them treads on and makes the other one jump and that kind of stuff, you know, another classic motif. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great film, Robin. And that brings us, so I've got, so I've got number one, obviously, um, you mentioned mine. Um, Robin's gone with Toad in the Hole. And Phil, what is your number one? I've gone for the music box. Unsurprisingly, uh-huh. it uh-huh. was, I'll be perfectly honest, um, it was the one that made me laugh the most. Yeah, I, I think that's cried. And then that's that's as good a benchmark as any. Exactly. It's sort of one gag that just continues and just doesn't stop for the whole 20 minutes. And yeah. I, it, do you think it's um, the familiarity and the expectation versus yeah. the first time? Because I, I knew it very well. I've seen it a few times and I was expecting it to be number one. Robin, um, probably, I would imagine, along the same lines. Um, do you think the fact you hadn't seen it before and probably didn't know that much about it, um, it's interesting that that's made it your number one. I think maybe it might have been my number one if I'd not seen any of these films. I think, yeah. for me, it was almost, I think it, it was, from having seen so many of them so many times, it would mm. almost have been too easy to put it number one, yeah. in a sense. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like, just, yeah, I don't know. It felt like I wanted to, if I think you're right, if I was coming at this, if I'd only ever watched them all once and I had no kind of attachment to any of them. Yeah, which is where we're If you're probably looking at it scientifically, you'd probably end up with the music box at number one. And obviously mm-hmm. that's borne out in the fact that it won an Academy Award. And it, as we said earlier, it's been selected to be preserved for all time in the Library of Congress. So I think if you're looking at it solely based on its constituent parts, then it, it's absolutely deserving to be number one. But I say, you're right, Russ, just having watched so many of them, I kind of felt I wanted to to um, have a slightly different order. But as Russ said, you, you could have them in any order, really. And it's sort of marginal marginal differences between them. And we could, we, we could, we'll talk about quite a few others here in a moment as well now, just to wrap up this episode. Before we do, though, just, um, just to quickly summarise them for people that are trying to keep track. So our top fives. At number five, I went for Big Business. Robin, you went for? Uh, music Box. Yeah. And Phil, you went for? Uh, tit for Tat. Oh, yeah, that's it. And then number four, I went for Lamdar Hills. Um, I, I was... I was hog wild. Yeah. And I was big business. Yeah. And then number three, I had the music box. Uh, I had county hospital. And I had busy bodies. Number two, I had busy bodies. I had Dendar Hills. And I had county hospital. And at number one, I had helpmates, which no one else has picked, interestingly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I had Toad in a Hole. And had the music box. So a lot there were there, the whole there are a few that came up repeatedly there though, definitely. Yeah. yeah and as yeah. you said, we thought Phil you'd have probably two or three um that you know that would feature mm. in our, our top yeah. five. So I mean what's most interesting, the two that nobody picked were in the, the upper echelons there were a number one. Um helpmates for me and toad in the hole for you, Robin, which is yeah. intriguing as well. Yeah. It does show you the kind of enduring the kind of thing which is that you can it's really, it's very, very subjective. And I think it's kind of small, there'll be small moments that might decide it or a particular, you know, sentimental reason why you put one above the other. Um, it's, but yeah, there's, there's not much, not much between them. Yeah, right, indeed, yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. It's been, it's been an interesting episode. And to round off on this one, before, as I said, we'll do the features as a separate episode. To round off on this one then, probably a couple more motifs we might talk about, a couple of other um, bits and pieces. Um, 
in terms of films, I, I did some extensive primary research here. There's a, I've counted up there's 23 other shorts that I watched, which didn't make the top five. And that was only, I, I didn't know, I would have watched more if I had time. Yeah, um, but it's still pretty good watched. going. Yeah, it was quite a few. I mean, it, it represents most of the ones that were likely to have been on there. Um, I've got such a big list here. I think what we'll probably do is I'll, I'll ask you guys if you've got any other honourable mentions first and I'll fill in with any other details. So, um, Phil, I know you didn't watch many. So what were there any other ones you watched which caught your eye and came close to the mark? I quite enjoyed Bohunks. That was funny. Yeah, that made good. me laugh. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah. Um, Tell us about that then one. So that was one of the ones that they then they then uh, remade it into a full full length film. So maybe we'll uh, talk about that later. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's that. And and Robin, any other? You've, you've already mentioned the only, one job. <laughs> yeah, the only one that I was going to that gets a very honourable mention that hasn't been ranked already is probably Brat. Uh, yeah. That one. Yes. Which yeah. But they played. Father and two fathers and two kids, kids, two kids yeah. Yeah, and they've, got, they've been left at home to basically babysit um, <laughs> their kids and predictable havoc is, uh, is wreaked on the apartment. And you've got this, this kind of dual, dual thing going on where the grown-ups are basically trying to play... What are they trying to play? Um, I think checkers, as they would call they're it. playing checkers and drafts, etc. And you've got and the kids billiards, upstairs. snooker, yeah. Yeah, and you've got the kids upstairs who are playing blocks and you've got the same dynamic, obviously, between the between the younger versions and the older versions. Um, and you've got this great moment where um, the kids have basically met havoc as, as, uh, as, has happened upstairs and the adults charge up to see what's going on and the kids are obviously pretending to be asleep in bed um, and then wake up and innocently ask for a glass of water. And there's this brilliant bit that kind of summarises their relationship between the two of them, which is that... Um, Ollie basically sort of imperiously and quite pompously tells Dan that he shouldn't go and get the kids a drink of water because they might spill it. And he then opens the bathroom door where the kids have left the bath running and he just gets washed away down the stairs. Yeah, it's, like, mummy, but it's so funny. It's just yeah, so... it's a brilliant gag, but it kind of, it perfectly sums up the, 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 the kind of the dynamic in their relationship, which is Ollie very much sees himself as, you know, the, the kind of the know-it-all one who's in charge and actually you know he too often flies a bit too close to the sun he's a bit too clever for his own good and uh you know often fate is waiting around the corner with a with a little jolting reminder that he's not so that's the only that's the only one that probably um certainly if we had a if it was a top if it was a top six or top seven um that would that would definitely be in there. I've got to say the, the set designers must have absolutely loved doing that because what they're doing is basically building giant-sized versions of seats and and, and, and playboys. Yeah, because they had a, yeah, they had an oversized second. They must have had an oversized second set, wasn't they? Yeah. yeah. Sort of yeah. yeah. Immensely amusing. Also, what they do is there is a childlike element to Stan and Ollie, isn't there? there there's a sheepishness where they kind of twiddle their thumbs and look like children when they're being caught out or they're they're you know they're trying to be humble and they're childlike in the way they do that so now you've got a thing where you've actually projected them as kids and versus the adults who are yeah, you've got um you've got twice two haven't you i don't know if we've mentioned that we'll see where they play each other's wives 
it's a good brief. Oh, I've not, I've not seen that actually. I've not seen that one. It's well worth watching. Again. It's a similar. I can't. I say I haven't seen it for years, so I can't give the, the, the kind of the precise details. But it's on a similar line. It's on a similar plot line. But yeah, they play each other's wives in that one. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's my only other honourable mention that hasn't already been touched on. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, um, I mean, mine, I've already mentioned Tit for Tat and uh, um, Bo Hunks, which Phil's just mentioned, um, which came close. Hogwild were very close for me as well. A few others, though. Um, again, talking about silence, um, silent movies, Liberty is interesting as well, where they're, they're actually playing hoods on the run and they're, they're picked up being chased by police they're picked up by two cohorts taken in the car they've got a change of clothes they go up and they end up on a one of those building sites in a major you know major city where there's a big high-rise building and they're, they're up on these steel girders um but while they've been trying they, there's a running gag where they've kept trying to get changed because they put each other's trousers on by mistake so they're trying to find somewhere to change and keep getting interrupted by various members of the public and at one point they go near the back of a, a fish sellers and um, a crab falls into the into ollie's trousers which stan is currently trying to wear so he keeps getting nipped by these crabs by this crab as he walks along the road um which later turns into a thing where he's flicking his foot out desperately and causing mayhem due to this involuntary reaction um and they end up going up the, into, onto this high rise. They do get their trousers swapped round. So now Ollie's wearing the trousers with the crab in, and he's getting nipped as they're trying to walk on these steel girders. And there's all these, well, supposedly death-defying stunts. Of course, it's not. Yeah. But um, yeah, where they're, they're hanging off the girders and all sorts of ridiculousness ensuing. Um, and it's kind of quite Harold Lloydish. I mentioned Harold Lloyd earlier. Uh, he did his own stunts of really crazy stuff. Um, it's very much like that, you know, guy hanging off the edge of a of, of some sort of stru- man-made structure miles up in the air, um, which is interesting. There's a really bizarre gag again. It defies reality where there, there's a um, uh, there's a worklift going up and down to this area. So um, they eventually come down, and the cop's standing directly underneath the worklift, so he gets crushed under it. They run off. The lift goes back up, and out steps the now dwarfish policeman. <laughs> who's been squashed down to about two foot tall. <laughs> They've obviously used a dwarf in the role. And yeah. um, it's kind of a bit a bit cringing, but um yeah, it's it's quite funny. That's that's quite good. Um Dirty Work is good as well, which is the one where they're chimney sweeps that turn up at a mad professor's house. He's he's concocting a notion uh, it's got the, the best ending that really made me laugh. And there's a mad professor who's uh, a scientist who's developing a way of um of making people younger and he's on the brink of discovering the missing ingredients he's got a, a bit of a zany butler who answers the door lets them in and they go and start trying to clean the chimney and you can imagine what happens uh, all sorts of destruction in the living room the chimney um, loads of bricks fall on ollie's head all the usual kind of stuff yeah anyway they eventually the doctor while they're there uh, fills in the missing ingredient they go into the living room he's there to brag about it to them and he shows how this he, he made this um this duck turn into a chick and then when he demonstrates it for stan and ollie he puts a bit more in and it, the, the duck turns into an egg which is quite funny <laughs> yeah. they, go, they, they seem pretty un unimpressed by this and they're hanging about they said oh let's try it ourselves while the doctor's gone up to try and use his butler his aging butler as the you know the age regressive experiment he's planning but he doesn't get a chance to do that we never see him come back because of course the two boys think 
uh, better of it. They'll go, well, let's try it ourselves. Let's get this fish. And they put chuck the fish in. Oh, they're about to chuck the fish in. And of course, what happens is Stan's bum knocks Ollie's bum. Ollie falls into the tank and comes out as a chimpanzee. <laughs> talking chimpanzee. And they've, they've had this running joke of, I don't want to talk to you about it. And of course, this is what the chimp says at the end of the episode. And um, it's, it's, brilliant. it's just tickled my funny bone, no ends. Absolutely brilliant film. Many more besides. I won't go into details about many more. There's many more to see, but... Bohunks, Going Bye Bye, Hogwild, Another Fine Mess, uh, Thicker Than Water, Below Zero. Another Fine Mess is quite an interesting one. So yeah, from the point of the, one of the main quotes that people come up with is, that's another fine mess you've got me into. But he never actually yeah, said that in ever. any of yeah. the films. It's another nice mess you've got yeah. me into. He does say, um, he says something else that's almost closer, but he never says... Another fine mess you've got me yeah, into. Think, yeah. yeah, yeah, never does. It's one of those classics, isn't it? It's a bit like um, you dirty rat. Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, it's not not exactly the quote. It's close, but not no cigar type of thing. Um, yeah, but that's that's a good film. Um, Laughing Gravy, I really liked. Um, if anyone wants to know what that film's about, the the title refers to the name of the dog that Stan has. Oh, okay, they're, they're they're living in a um, uh, well, they're they're renting a a house and it's snowy and the landlord's not allowing dogs. So they're trying to keep the dog quiet, but the dog's barking because Stan's doing this ridiculous hiccuping in his sleep. And, and of course there's loads of stuff and the landlord comes up and they're trying to hide it. They chuck the dog out and they try and go and get the dog back in. And of course, what that involves is them going out to get the dog and destroying their house. <laughs> As of course, <laughs> usually happens. And Laughing Gravy is the name of the dog. And it's got a, a storyline with an inheritance, um, which is also a recurring theme. Um, Stan is told, you've inherited a fortune as long as you have nothing more to do ever with Oliver, uh, because he's a bad influence on you. And he tries to keep it quiet and in the end, uh, you know, there's a touching scene at the yeah. end with a payoff gag as well. Um, a similar story comes up where they come to deliver an inheritance to a, a maid working in a saloon bar, which, of course, as you might know, if you're familiar it's like with way out west, yeah. way out west, the film. So that comes up again later, and we'll talk about that in the next episode. But uh, Night Owls is quite good. Um, there's a cop who's um, under pressure because loads of burglaries are happening in the area of the chief inspector and he's forcing this guy to make an arrest or be sacked. So he, he coerced two hobos, guess who, uh, into um, burgling the chief inspector's own house, and then he will make the arrest and everything will go well. Of course, it doesn't, uh, but that's quite funny. There's a whole thing. It's the noisiest burglary in cinematic and probably any kind of history. <laughs> they, they could not have made more noise. Horns go off, dustbin lids and dustbins fall all over the place at one point stan rings the front doorbell to try and get ollie to, to let him in <laughs> all, all sorts of ridiculous a bit different to quite a lot of those heist films we did in one yeah. of our previous yeah. episodes um one or two one one or two final bits from me in case you guys have got anything else feel free to chip in but one other thing i wanted to mention was scram which is a film where they're um they're basically charged with uh, just being vagrants and um, they're, they're let off as long as they, they get out of town uh, and what happens is they run into um, a drunk, uh, a guy called uh, an actor called Arthur Houseman who's in a number of their films as well he's in Our Relations playing exactly the same role a massively, massively drunk uh, in terms of quantity of drink um, 
sort of toffish character who is basically Arthur Houseman's a, a native New Yorker. Uh, he, he plays drunks. That seems to be what he does. It's one of his, his main fortes. And in this, in this film, he, he's completely drunk. They, he's trying to drive, drops his key down a drain. They try and salvage it with an umbrella. Again, Stan comes up with a great idea. He puts, he puts some chewing gum in his mouth, takes it out, puts it on the end of an umbrella, gets the key. But of course, he opens the umbrella just before it gets to the top, <laughs> and then his great idea goes to waste. They eventually get the the key out. They eventually get this back this guy back to his house. Turns out it's not his house, and there's a whole load of other shenanigans issue as well. And it's very good. But um, Arthur Houseman's another another one of the um, one of those sort of side characters who who just plays drunks, and he's, he's quite good. And there's loads more besides uh, Bratz is good. Um, one other element I was going to say as well is you've got a couple of vampish characters as well. And I think it is, if I'm not mistaken, it might be May Bursch actually who's playing it. Um, there's one where um, Ollie's being blackmailed for his past shenanigans. And in this film, Oliver VIII, um, he's playing uh, Oliver replying to an ad in the paper to, um, to marry an eligible lady widowed lady or whatever um and it turns out that she was jilted the night before her wedding and um she's had revenge on olivers ever since so she's just <laughs> in the throats of these olivers and of course in walks um barbershop man ollie hard hardy who um who's on the verge of being killed stan goes along with him and yeah. of course manages to save the day somehow um that's quite fun but there's there's so many more besides what i would yeah. recommend is buying the box set and watching uh, hours and hours and hours of this stuff over episodic periods i would say over a number of years because this this is a lifetime of good entertainment for me it's a um, shame that some of those sorts have, have been lost, haven't they? There's a few that, that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. haven't been seen since the 30s. Yeah, you, I didn't realise that when you, when you said it. Was it 150 shorts or something? That was that was before they they teamed up. That was um, oh, right. okay. Oliver or Hardy on his own. But I think there's there's, there's a kind of handful of ones they made together. They've only got bits of or parts of or nothing yeah. at all of. Hmm. I suppose it's similar to that you get a lot for the BBC, wasn't it, from the, that similar period? Yeah, it's a bit of like Doctor Who missing and stuff, yeah. Yeah, they perhaps didn't anticipate what the clamour would be like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line. They just perhaps didn't even envisage that anyone would have any interest at all beyond the, you know, the immediate time period when the stuff comes out. Only other thing to mention, guys, is also music. We, we touched on it briefly earlier. Um, and we'll probably touch on it a bit more to do with the features, because I guess that plays more of a part in a, a longer film. But the signature tune, which has become... Yeah, the Cuckoo song, isn't it, or something it's called, or Cuckoo, or... Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, Cuckoos play a yeah. part in some of their films too. But yeah, so was it a flute or a tin whistle or something? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know, actually, now you've said yeah. that. But it, it's the it's the famous. It's, tune it's, it's as emblematic yeah. of them as their bowler hats, isn't it? You, you hear that. Do, 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 do. So as, as as I sort of read it, that was actually written uh, by a composer called T. Marvin Hatley for Hal Roach's radio station. And oh. Stan Laurel heard it and went, "Can we have that? We want yeah. that." And that it's was perfect, it. isn't it? It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> There's some other themes, isn't there? All the way through the shorts, they have music as a an ongoing background to to the to the action you do get music quite a lot in the background during their their um their films and um there's 
there's a and then there's another one. I can't remember what the other tunes are off the top of my head, but um, there's three or four themes that keep going around actually, and I think that all adds to the the whole atmosphere of the, uh, the, the Lauren and Hardy films, doesn't it? It's almost like branding, isn't it? Branding, yeah. yeah. You know exactly, you know exactly where you are, what world you're in. Yeah, yeah, you really do. It's it's great stuff. Excellent. Well, any further comments for this episode, guys? Any anything else you wanted to add before we break off for our? No, just thanks for choosing it and that gave me an excuse to watch all of this stuff. Yeah, we've got. Thank you for letting me uh, (laughs) sort of opine on this for a while. (laughs) I know you've been itching to do this, haven't you? (laughs) <laughs> ever since yeah, been been bugging, every time I've seen that I've been bugging and going when are we going to do Laurel and Hardy <laughs> brilliant yeah well you were asking and asking for a while and then I said well why don't you come on when we do do it yeah and uh, it's yeah. been yeah, great so I wasn't, um, when I first suggested it I was, it wasn't actually me angling to be on it I was genuinely interested to hear yeah. it oh yeah yeah, yeah was, uh, but, um, but yeah happy bonus to um, contribute some of my own nonsense <laughs> and for me it's great it's great to have this extra element so to have you robin talking about one of your great passions from the film world which is great and also it's great we've done it before once or twice but phil to get you on one of the subjects that you know nothing that about rubbish like, at, yeah i always love that it's great yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's always it's fun it's like when we did the screwball comedies i think that was the sort of summer holiday 2020 one i just took a load of films away with me and you know watched a couple of them a day or whatever it is for a couple of weeks and came back an expert it's great yeah (laughs) and i think actually sort of summer holidays christmas holidays we mentioned earlier that might be times when people watch i know it's it's interesting having spoken to a couple of friends that uh it's part of their lives as well like a friend of the show alan uh a quick mention to him because he he says every christmas with his family he watches uh lauren hardy films that is obviously yeah. his kids and him and his, his wife and so on um so it's kind of it's continuing to be a tradition the, yeah i mean i think there's the one, one we'll go into this more in the film section but the one their films babes in toyland is that or march of the wooden soldiers is also known as is an american christmas staple they show it every year you know on american tv or, or used to i'm not sure if that's still the case yeah in the days of streaming <laughs> brilliant well chaps thank you very much for joining us for this one it's been great to all listeners as well hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back with our next episode which will be lauren hardy features so until then thank you again to robin thank you as always to phil and um we'll see you next time cut <laughs> 